This is the story of the cowmen of Copalis Beach, a family's encounter with something sinister. Bo's dad worked in the timber industry his whole life. His father was a logger and he grew up in and around the woods. His dad started his own logging company when he was just 18 years old and his owned and operated shake and shingle mills from Oregon clear up to Thorn Bay, Alaska. He is an intelligent man and holds over a dozen patents for various pieces of equipment he had designed and built over the years. He employed dozens of people throughout his career, all of them spending extensive time in the wilderness. When Bo was a boy, he remembered hearing bits and pieces of conversations among some of the men at the mill. Although nobody would tell him directly, he understood that something had gone on before he was born, and it involved one of the foremen named John. Bo remembers that when they would talk about this, they weren't joking around. He could tell they were genuinely afraid, and they'd never talk about it with him as a kid. When Bo was young, his dad wouldn't tell him about it because he would often go out in the woods cutting blocks with him on the weekends. Well, on this particular weekend, he was speaking with his dad. Bo told him of a couple strange events that happened to him later in the wilderness and that reminded him of the hints at a story he heard when he was just a boy. And after some digging and prodding, his father finally told him the story. In the mid-1960s, his dad owned a large roofing product mill in Aberdeen, Washington. He had teams of men that would cut fallen old growth cedar salvage left after a logging operation. He had permits to salvage a large amount of wood in the coastal areas of Gray Harbor County, primarily in the area around Copalis Beach. Several of the men on his cutting crews lived in and around Copalis Beach. His foreman, a man called John for the story, was a bright, down-to-earth gentleman. He was not the type to just make up stories. Bo's dad trusted him with thousands of dollars of vehicles and equipment, as well as the safety of his crews. It was a Monday morning, sometime in July. John was several hours late for work. This was highly unusual as he was always there early, getting the saws and trucks ready for the day. Bo's dad said he was visibly shaken up, and when he asked him what was wrong, he asked his dad to go into the office so the others wouldn't hear them. They went in and sat down, and John simply said, Something destroyed our house this weekend. My dad thought he said someone broke into the house and proceeded to ask John if it was someone he knew. John said, you don't understand. This wasn't a person. It was a, he hesitated for a moment. I don't know what it was, but it completely trashed the house. The family is going to stay with my brother in Alma for a while. Bo's dad asked him to explain what happened. John said when he got home from work Friday evening, his youngest son, Tim, who was around four at the time, told him he saw a big cowman walking at the edge of their field that afternoon. John thought the boy meant cowboy because some of his neighbors wore cowboy hats when they were out in the sun. He asked him if the man was wearing a cowboy hat and the boy said, no daddy, he was a cowman, furry and stinky like the cows. He asked his wife if she knew what he was talking about. She said Tim was playing on the porch that afternoon when he came running inside and said the cowman was stuck on the fence. He was very excited, she explained, so she went out to see what he was talking about. She said as she opened the door, she was hit by a horrible smell, like wet dogs and garbage. Tim was pointing across the field opposite their house and he said, he got loose. She looked where he was gesturing and could see the top strand of barbed wire bouncing up and down, as if somebody had just pulled on it really hard and let it go. She didn't see the cowman and noticed nothing out of the ordinary except for that horrendous smell. As a result, she told Tim to come inside and play for the rest of the day. She felt uneasy and a little scared. Their older son, John Jr., who was 12 at the time, 
was at a friend's house and walked home a short while after Tim saw his cowman. He told her somebody had followed him home, walking in the woods off the right side of the road. He never seen who it was. They never left the woods, but he said it had to be a really big man. He would hear large sticks cracking, and the footsteps were very heavy. Once he got to the driveway of their house, where the woods stopped at the field, the same place his little brother had had his sighting, the footsteps stopped, and John Jr. never saw anything. He was pretty shaken up by the event, and wanted his dad to go out to the woods and check it out with him. So later that evening, John strapped on his 357 and took his older son out into the field to have a look. They first walked to the area where the cowman was supposedly stuck on the fence, and walked down the fence line looking for any clues. They came upon a large clump of long, reddish-brown hair tangled in the top strand of barbed wire. He tried to pull it off, but it was really tangled up. So he pulled out his buck knife and sawed it off. He said the hair was over a foot long, real coarse, and stringy. There appeared to be a bit of flesh matted in the clump as well, and the top wire was pulled loose from one of the posts. So whatever was hung up on the fence was very big. He handed the hair to his son to hold, and they climbed through the fence and walked towards the woods. He said he was looking around for any sign of tracks on the ground, the hair kind of looked like it was from a horse's mane or tail. The ground was a solid, grassy field, and there was no hoof prints or any other tracks he could see. The edge of the woods started about 10 feet from the fence line, and they entered on a small game trail that deer frequented. It was around 8 at night, and in the woods, it was starting to get fairly dark. They walked for a ways, and soon started to smell the rotting garbage, wet dog odor his wife reported earlier. Suddenly, John got the feeling that they were being watched. The hair on the back of his neck stood up. He told his son they should head back before it got dark, and the boy didn't argue. As they began walking back out, they could hear heavy footsteps off to their left. They stopped, and the footsteps stopped. They walked on nearly to the clearing, and John whispered to his son to run like hell to the house on the count of three. John Jr. nodded, and John whispered, one, two, three, and he gave his son a push in the back to get him started, then spun around and raced off the trail in the opposite direction. He was running towards the sound of the footsteps with his 357 drawn. Off the trail, the underbrush was dense with ferns and bushes. He had a hard time making headway, but as he got closer, he could hear something moving away from him, deeper into the woods. At this point in time, he wasn't sure if it was a homeless person camping out in the woods and possibly scoping houses out to rob at night. John was a big man and capable of taking care of himself in most any situation, and he had a large caliber handgun, so he wasn't too worried about a homeless person confronting him in the woods. He was just a few yards off the trail in the deep brush when he heard the movement stop just ahead of him. He stopped to look and listen and thought he saw movement by a large tree like someone was trying to hide behind it. He pulled up his gun and said, come out nice and slow or I swear to God, I'll come back there and shoot you. It was silent for a moment and then he caught movement out the corner of his eye. He quickly spun to his right for a better look. He said it looked like a huge bear moving through the brush. He could only see bits of it through the dense ferns but it was moving quietly away from the tree on four legs. It was about 15 feet away from him. At first, he thought for sure it was just a big bear. And then suddenly, he saw a huge hairy arm with a human-like hand reach out from the brush and grab a small alder tree. The tree was about four inches in diameter and it grabbed hold of it about five feet up. He said it happened so fast it was a blur, but the thing pulled itself upright out of the brush by holding the tree. It stood on two legs and turned its upper body to glare at John. It was enormous. He couldn't believe how bulky it was. He said it was well over seven feet tall and at least half that big through the chest. It was too dark to make out any features, but its eyes seemed to glow deep red and he thought he could see teeth like it was curling its lips back and growling at him. It stood there just for a brief moment and then lunged ahead, pushing back on the tree with tremendous force. The tree snapped loudly and crashed into the trees around it, getting hung up in the branches and not falling to the ground. 
It then disappeared into the deep brush with frightening speed, sounding like a bulldozer with no engine sounds. John stood there in shock, his gun temporarily forgotten, and then he realized it was heading towards the house, the way his son had went. He turned and ran to the trail, hoping to gain ground on it and cut it off before it reached the clearing. He hit the trail and ran as fast as he could toward the clearing, all the while hearing the creature thrash through the brush at his side. He burst into the clearing, looking frantically for his son. John Jr. was standing just inside of the fenced-in field, waiting for his dad. John screamed at him, run to the house! Then he saw the thing crash out of the woods about 50 feet to his left. It crossed the 10-foot clearing and stepped over the fence in two strides and was running through the field parallel to his son in a matter of seconds. John screamed towards his son, run faster, and took aim at the creature, but he didn't fire because he was afraid to hit his son or the house, so he vaulted over the fence and ran in pursuit of them. He could see it angling towards his son and knew there was no way his boy would make it out the gate before it cut him off. In desperation, he pointed the gun to the ground at his side and fired as he ran, hoping to scare it. It veered more sharply towards his son and put on an enormous burst of speed. He heard his boy scream as they seemed to collide. He saw the creature dip its shoulder down a little bit and suddenly John Jr. was airborne. He flew about 10 feet then hit the ground rolling. The beast never paused. It continued to run at amazing speed in a back loop towards the woods. Once the line of fire was clear, John stopped and squeezed off the remaining five rounds at the retreating creature. He was pretty sure all the shots went wild. The creature never made a sound or slowed down and was soon over the fence and back into the woods. He reached his son who was shaken up but not physically hurt. He asked his dad if it was a bear. Apparently, little John was so busy running for the house that he didn't see the creature running after him. He said something big and black suddenly ran into him and he felt a huge paw hit his bottom and then he said he felt like he was falling. John pulled his son to his feet and they ran through the gate and into the house locking the door behind him. They were both out of breath and as white as ghosts. His wife was screaming at him, demanding to know where the gunshots were for and if they were alright. When he could catch his breath, he told her to make sure the back door was locked. He was going to call the sheriff. He went to the phone and began to dial the number. This was before 911, then stopped and wondered what exactly he was going to say. He hung up the phone, realizing what an idiot he would look like if he told the sheriff the boogeyman just chased him out of the woods. He told his wife that it was a large animal, possibly a bear. He didn't know how to begin to tell her their four-year-old was right. His cowman was real, and it was more frightening than anything he could imagine. He told them to keep all the doors locked and stay away from the windows. Around 10 o'clock that night, both boys were in bed, and John and his wife sat down to watch the news. They soon heard a loud, moaning cry, kind of like a siren on the volunteer fire department. It would stretch out for a long time and then end with a whoop-whoop sound. It was coming from the woods opposite the house. His wife asked, what the hell is that? John answered truthfully, that's Tim's cowman. He then described to her the full details of what had happened, and she immediately wanted to call the sheriff. He persuaded her that they would sound crazy, and that he would handle it himself. She reluctantly agreed, and told him she didn't want either of the kids to go outside until this was gone. The howling went on until around midnight, when it got quiet again. John wanted to stay up through the night and watch over the house, but he had a long day at work, and the excitement earlier had worn him out. They went to bed around 1 in the morning, and had no further problems that night. They slept in that morning, and the boys were already up and watching cartoons when they got out of bed. The first thing little John said was that he heard the bear rubbing against the house last night. He said he was too scared to get up and to tell his parents, and fell back asleep soon after. Then little Tim said, the cowman talks funny. This stopped John cold. He asked his son, when did you talk to the cowman? Tim replied, last night in my room. John asked, the cowman was in your room? No, daddy, he's too big for my room. He talked to me through the window. He said innocently and then turned back to watch cartoons. What did the cowman say, Tim? asked John. He talks funny. I don't know what he said. He talks like, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, ah, ah, Tim said and started to make strange monkey noises. Did the cowman try to get in your window? John asked. 
breaking out in a cold sweat. He's too big for that. He made funny faces. He has Lincoln log teeth, Tim said with a smile. John later learned that Tim meant it had square teeth that looked the same size as the small blocks in a Lincoln log set. It apparently spent quite a while talking and making faces outside the boy's window. Tim said it lay down and went to sleep outside and he could hear it snoring. John walked to his younger son's room and cautiously peered out the window. No sleeping cow man. John told the boys to get dressed. They were going to visit their uncle and Alma for the day. After his wife and kids left, he called one of the men from his crew and asked him to come over. His name was Patrick. He was an ex-state patrolman and he was kicked off the force because of his drinking problem. He was a good worker, never got drunk before dark, so John figured they would have most of the day to look for this thing. When Patrick arrived, John greeted him at the door and said, Are you up for some hunting? Seeing how it was not hunting season, Patrick told him he doesn't poach and doesn't even want to know about if John did. John told him it wasn't deer he was after and went on to explain the previous night's events. Patrick didn't really believe him, but could see he was sincere and still shook up. John had his pistol in a bolt action 30 out 6. Patrick had a 38 in his car, and John loaned him a 12-gauge. They first circled the house looking for any signs of a nocturnal visitor. At the back of the house, there was a spigot for the garden hose, and it always leaked. There was a patch of ground worn bare of grass under it, and it had turned into mud. In the center of the mud, there was a huge, clear imprint of what looked like a bare human foot. John said it was at least 18 inches long and very wide. It was so clear that he got the feeling it was left there on purpose. They found no other prints around the house, and in places in the field and woods where a track could be made, the creature seemed to avoid them. Off to the side of the track in the mud were four straight lines about eight inches long. He said it looked like someone had raked their fingers through the mud. When they circled around to the side of the house and got to Tim's window, they saw what it was for. Above the top of the window, a good seven feet up, were four muddy streaks, and on the window itself were dozens of large muddy fingerprints. The glass wasn't cracked or broken, just smeared with mud. By this time, Patrick was fast becoming convinced something strange had indeed happened the night before. Before going out into the woods, John wanted to feed the family pigs. They had two of them, apparently fairly young, weighing around 40 pounds each. The pig's pen was about 100 yards away from the house behind an old barn. As they got closer, John became concerned because they couldn't hear them making any noise. Usually they squealed like crazy when they knew food was coming. But this morning, it was completely silent. They rounded the corner, and of course, the pen was empty. No sign of damage or struggle. The pigs were just gone. They searched the barn and found nothing out of place, so they decided to hit the woods and try to kill this thing. They entered on the same trail John and John Jr. had used the day before. John showed Patrick the broken fence wire and told him about the hair. It was a bright summer morning, and John was surprised at the difference from the previous evening. The night before had been still and silent. Now the woods were alive with birds and animals. He showed Patrick the broken tree, and they followed the creature's trail and found several more trees and large branches twisted and broken. They could see large, faint impressions of footprints where the ground was soft. They followed the deer trail further into the woods and encountered nothing unusual. By noon, they were both getting hungry, so they hiked back to the house for lunch. They spent the rest of the day poking around, but saw nothing out of the ordinary. Just before the dark that night, his wife and kids showed up. He and Patrick were sitting on the porch with the guns, watching the woods. His wife asked if they'd seen anything. John told her about the footprint in the mud on the window. Patrick had retrieved a pint of booze from his car and was well on his way to getting smashed. John decided he didn't want to frighten drunk with a gun around his family, so he suggested that Patrick could go home. Nothing was going to happen anyway. Patrick agreed and drove off, and John continued to watch the woods. His wife brought out a plate of food and a Coleman lantern and a flashlight. He told her he would stay out there and watch the house the entire night. Before they went to bed, he went into their bedroom and, with help from his wife, pushed the king-sized bed as far from the windows as they could. They agreed that his wife and kids would all sleep in that bed for the night, and he would watch around the house. She had grown up hunting and knew how to handle a gun as good as he did, so she insisted on keeping the shotgun in the room with them. He agreed after making her promise to ask for a name before shooting anything. If it replied, John, please don't shoot it. 
There was a full moon that night, and John could see across the field and into the inky dark of the woods. The night air was filled with the sound of crickets, and the pond behind the house was full of croaking frogs. As the moon rose higher, clumps of weeds in the field began casting sinister shadows. Before long, John was seeing big hairy creatures sneaking up on him in each of them. He stood up and lit a cigarette, trying to shake the fear and concentrate on the task at hand. He wandered to the end of the porch and stood looking at the barn. Something was different, but he couldn't quite place it. The front of the barn facing the house was open, and the moonlight was hitting it from the side, casting the interior in deep shadows. He stood watching the black opening as he finished his smoke, thinking about missing the pigs. He then realized what was wrong. All the crickets and frogs had gone silent. It was as quiet as the inside of a mausoleum at night. He could hear the minute, shrill buzz of his own nervous system. As he turned back to walk towards his chair, he thought he saw movement in the barn. He looked intently at the opening and could make out nothing, then turned his head a bit to the side and saw what looked like two red eyes hovering around eight feet off the ground. He couldn't see them if he looked straight at them, but when his eyes averted a little bit, they became clearer. They were a deep, burning coal red, almost invisible in the dark. Every few seconds, they would disappear when the creature blinked. His heart began thudding in his chest, and he waited for it to leave the barn and approach the house. He slowly backed up to his chair, never looking away, and picked up his 30 6 He walked back to the end of the porch and watched and waited. He stood looking at the blinking red eyes for what seemed like hours, and then the eyes blinked out and never came back. He watched intently, but could see no movement. He thought for a moment, then grabbed the flashlight and shined the barn. The flashlight was too small to penetrate the darkness of the barn from his distance. He had to get closer. He was none too keen about leaving the relative safety of the porch and confronting a glowing-eyed monster in his barn, but he was damned if he was going to live in fear in his own house. He left the porch and began slowly working his way towards the barn, taking his time, building his courage up. He got closer and could still see no movement. It had gone further into the dark. He got within 20 feet of the opening, and his flashlight would now penetrate the gloom in the barn. He moved the feeble beam all over the contents of the barn and the old tractor and old pickup and buckets. Too many places for something to hide, even something big. He cautiously walked closer, now shining the flashlight down the barrel of his rifle. He stopped at the entrance and shined the light all over, searching the corners and under the vehicles. He stepped into the barn, every sense straining for sound or movement. He walked around the pickup, tensing for a huge hairy arm to reach out and grab him at any second. He made his way clear to the rear of the barn without seeing anything. He slowly turned around to leave. He felt both relieved not to have encountered it and frightened and somewhat confused about where it could have gone. As he was walking out, he glanced at the wide stairs leading up into the hayloft and froze. He knew with complete certainty that it had climbed those stairs and was waiting for him to walk out under the hayloft. Then it would jump down on him. He couldn't move. He was literally frozen in fear. He swore he could hear the floorboards softly creak above him as an enormous weight edged stealthily closer to the edge. He stood with his heart pounding in his ears, unable to move or act. Suddenly, there was the booming explosion of a shotgun from the house, followed by his wife screaming. His paralysis broke and he bolted out of the barn towards the house, completely forgetting what might have been in the hayloft. As he ran toward the house, he heard an inhumane roar coming from the woods behind. It sounded pissed off and in pain. It screamed again, and he heard branches breaking as it plowed through the forest, thankfully away from the house. He got to the house and almost knocked down the front door in a hurry to get inside. He ran down the hall to their room and found his family huddled together on the bed, sobbing. One of the windows was blown out, and his wife was still pointing the shotgun at it. When he burst into the room, she swung the gun in his direction, and he screamed and hit the floor. He waited for the blast, but it didn't come. He slowly stood up, and she had put the gun down, and he went to the bed. He asked her what had happened, but she was too shook up to answer just then. Tim started crying. Why did you shoot the cowman, Mommy? Why? John Jr. had his face buried against her shoulder, crying. After they calmed down a bit, 
He told them to get up and follow him. He led them to the living room, then went out to the open front door and looked carefully around. He could see no sign of it. All was quiet again. He told them to come out and get in the car. They ran out in their pajamas and piled into the car. He got in and drove them to his brother's house in Alma. On the way there, they had calmed down enough to tell him what happened. She said a couple hours after they went to bed, she finally dozed off. She was awakened by Tim talking to someone and this bizarre clicking and chirping sound. Tim wasn't in bed. He was standing in front of one of the windows. The moonlight was shining through both windows, illuminating the room pretty good. But there was a large shadow, like a tree, obscuring the window in front of Tim. She knew there were no trees close enough to cast a shadow. She told Tim to get away from the window. Mommy, listen. The cowman can sound just like a bird. Tim said, pointing excitedly at the dark figure in the window. Timmy, get away from the window, she said, trying to keep her voice quiet. Right after she spoke, the noises from outside changed. It went from a soft chirping to a strange gibbering, almost like human speech with an occasional pig-like snort thrown in. At this time, little John woke up and said, What is that? rather loudly. This seemed to quite incite the creature, and it hit the side of the house with its fists hard enough for the walls to tremble. At this, little John screamed, and Tim yelled, Quiet! You're going to scare him away! She yelled at Tim to get away from the window again and reached up on the headboard and grabbed the shotgun. She got out of bed and started towards Tim. The creature leaned down and looked straight in the window at her. She screamed and raised the shotgun, afraid to shoot because her son was too close to it. She started forward to grab Tim, and there was an explosion of breaking glass. A gigantic hairy arm reached through the window towards her son. She screamed again and fired over Tim's head, blowing out the rest of the window and hitting the creature with double-op buckshot. It jerked backwards out of the window and disappeared into the dark. A few seconds later, she heard it screaming in the woods. It was trying to get Tim. It was trying to get my baby. She started crying again, and he comforted her as best he could while driving. They stayed the rest of that night and the following night with his brother's family. He told his brother about it, but could see he didn't really believe him. He agreed to ride back to John's house with him early Monday morning before work. They had left the front door open in their haste to leave, and he was afraid animals or vandals would have gotten to the house. When they arrived, the house looked like a tornado had gone through it. The couch was upside down, they had a large, heavy TV console, and it was apparently thrown across the room, lying in a spray of broken glass. The kitchen was trashed, the refrigerator knocked over, and food everywhere. The doors to both of the boys' rooms were left closed, and the rooms were untouched same as the bathroom the master bedroom was torn apart the pillows ripped up and feathers everywhere the chest of drawers was knocked over and the large mirror smashed john's brother looked around in awe and said you better call the police john looked at him and said what tell him bigfoot destroyed my house they left and closed the front door this time and drove to bo's dad's mill in aberdeen john's brother waited in the car while john went in and told this to bo's dad after he was done his dad said well let's take a look then they drove back out to the house and John showed him the damage. He pulled the clump of hair from his shirt pocket and let him look at it. As they were walking through the house surveying the damage, he pointed out the cracks in the ceiling where it had apparently stood up and hit its head. John told Bo's dad that they couldn't live there anymore. Even if the creature was gone, they would always be afraid. Their homeowner's insurance wouldn't cover the damage. The adjuster claimed John must have done it in a drunken rage. His dad helped them find a place in Aberdeen and gave him a loan for new furniture and stuff. The house was eventually fixed up and sold, and he never heard about another problem there. So crazy story, huh? That's definitely one of the craziest Bigfoot stories I've ever heard for sure. And it seems like a valid account. Let me know what you think in the comments. Yes, this was a long one. I decided not to do it in two parts because, for some reason, the platforms hate two parts. So I went back and I took off the first part and I just compiled the two. But stay tuned for the live tonight and make sure you all download my app on Roku if you get a chance. It's going to be on Fire Stick and possibly Apple TV eventually too. But download it on Roku if you get a chance. Stay in love, stay in the light, be kind to others. I am out.